to This Grit and Grace Life, a podcast for strong women and those who want to be. From the boardroom to the bedroom, car lines to college, single, married, or single again, real talk for women embracing this grit and grace life. Let's get into it. Welcome to this Grit and Grace Life podcast. I'm Darlene Brock, and Julie, you know I research everything. Whenever a question pops in my mind, I'm immediately going to every source I can find to get answers. Is psychology today your home bookmark? It's one of them. Yeah, it's one of them. It <laughs> is. Well, hey, girl, hey, I'm Julie Graham, and I take all of my important life questions to Google, which is very... Oh, I don't know, millennial, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> all of the correct answers there. Is that what we're saying? Or even worse, I'll just post a Facebook poll and ask, what should I do about this life thing? And you know what? My friends are very helpful. That's how I handle life questions. Well, and sometimes that's really important and really appropriate, but other times we might look somewhere else. I would totally agree that that's probably not the best advice that you can get. But you know where the best advice you can get on all things for your grit and grace life is? the Ask Dr. Zoe column. Oh, absolutely it is. If you've been with us at the Grit and Grace Project or this Grit and Grace Life, you've probably heard that name before. We've been connected with Dr. Zoe Shaw out of California for almost three years now. She started as a regular contributor to our online magazine and then became a frequent podcast guest as she hosts her own show, Redefining Your Superwoman. And then last year, we established the free advice column available at the Grit and Grace Project. She shares wisdom from her many years as a licensed psychotherapist, relationship expert, and life coach. Thanks so much for joining us again, Dr. Zoe, on another episode of This Grit and Grace Life. We love everything you bring to the show, and we're excited to unpack some of the things that you are sharing in our Ask Dr. Zoe feature column at the online magazine. Well, thank you. I'm always excited to be here with you guys, and I love the column. Oh, I do too, Zoe. And to have an opportunity to ask a question, don't ask anybody in your town or, you know, your family <laughs> or friends, but you can do it anonymously yes. to you. How much, I, I can't believe how great that is because I do it in a heartbeat. Yeah. You know, the thing I love about it is that I've said before that, of course, we all know there's nothing new under the sun. And so the benefit of the column is that if you have a question, Somebody else is going to relate to it and be helped by it. But the other thing is that when you do have a question, everybody's unique. Mm -hmm. And so, you, you know, you can't just go to Google sometimes. You really just want a specific answer. And so that's the beauty of my column is that it helps you, but it also helps so many other women. I mean, I'm not going to lie. One of my favorite parts of my job is that I do read every single piece of content before it gets published at the Grit mm. and Grace Project. And so reading the questions that people put in for Ask Dr. Zoe, I always learn something. Probably yeah. 75% of the time I'm crying. I'm not crying. You're crying. I needed to know this information. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I just feel like it's such a gem. So thanks really for doing that. Um, but we wanted to kind of unpack on the show today some of the questions that kind of are bigger themes that we're seeing mm -hmm. kind of asked over and over, you know, with their personal situation tailored in, which again is so great about the opportunity to ask you on the website. But we want to unpack here some of the big issues that we feel like people are facing. Okay. And the first one, I mean, I know every single woman struggles with this mm -hmm. anxiety, worry, a little bit of fear. Mm -hmm. Zoe, how, how do we deal with that? Because it hits us on all levels. Um, when do we know it's normal? When do we think, oh, we really need help? Absolutely. Well, first, I hate that word normal. <laughs> <laughs> 
And the reason is because it's so comparative and it doesn't really mean anything. And it really, I feel it's a derogatory term when it comes to our lives and for women, when we ever say anything's normal. So I like the word healthy Mm. because healthy is about, is it functioning in your life? And it's going to look different for different people because everybody has a different capacity for feelings, emotions, things going on in their life. So Healthy is what I want you to always think about when we think about our emotions. And of course, all emotions are good. Mm. So when we think about emotions, well, you need to understand that emotions are information. And if you think about them as information, then the question you always ask is, what is this telling me? And instead of making a big story about it, you're going to ask, what is this telling me? Is is my sadness telling me, you know, obviously that I've lost. What have I lost? What does that mean in my life? Is my anger telling me what's wrong? Because anger just says something is wrong. Mm. And so when it comes to emotions, the first thing we have to do is acknowledge them, figure out what's healthy in our life and what isn't. And we'll, we'll unpack a little bit of that um, and, and process them. I love that because I know as a woman, you think I can't be angry. I can't, mm. I can't be whatever the emotion is. You, you qualify it and say, well, that's not good. That's not healthy. That's not Normal. right. Mm-hmm. Normal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, and I do love that too, that you said that, but to say that to ourselves is really a lie. So how do we adjust that? Right. So when you say things like I can't be, usually that's a story we're telling ourselves, and it's usually based in our childhood mm-hmm. where we learn things about our emotions, what's okay, what's not okay. And different families are different. Some are super expressive, you know, and so we learn to be very comfortable with our emotions. Sometimes we might learn to be over dramatic with our emotions. <laughs> and then other families, we learn that certain ones are not okay. And so we have to understand the lies that we tell ourselves about our emotions first. And of course, society does that too with women. Um, But that's the first step is understanding what am I telling myself about my emotions that might not be true at all? I know we have a couple articles that I'll link to in the show notes that kind of unpack these concepts of, you know, what are healthy emotions. I mean, we did a full episode with you about that. So I'll Mm -hmm. refer to that episode 75, which was so helpful. And I send it to people all the time. (laughs) But we've also talked a lot about the importance of, you know, that self-talk. That's one of the biggest things I've learned from you, Dr. Zoe, is Mm. just catching the things that I say to myself on repeat that are often so negative. So I'll make sure to link to that as well, because I really think that that's going to be the biggest key between allowing yourself to feel these emotions, knowing that they're healthy or unhealthy instead of using that normal lingo that we're used to. Right. So let's talk about unhealthy though. So how do we know when our emotions have um, gotten to a place where they are driving us instead of us just feeling them, Mm. right? So when you are feeling an emotion, Well, kind of think about it like there are always going to be times when we may be unhealthy in our emotions. So let's look at something like eating, right? We could have an eating addiction or we could have Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, on Thanksgiving, we're all going to kind of overeat. We're going to do things that are, are kind of over the top. But if we can bring ourselves back, adjust, we're good. We don't need to, to seek treatment for that. But when your emotions get to the point that they are ruling you, that they are preventing you from being functional in your life, and it's you're not able to kind of rein them back in, that's when you need to seek help. So when it comes to anxiety or worry, mm-hmm. 
normal is, oh, my child just learned how to drive and they just pulled out of the driveway and I'm just a little bit concerned. But you're saying mm-hmm. if you can balance that, that's fine. But if you stay up for days on end and worry about everything your teenager is doing or dealing with, all of a sudden, does it become too much? Yes. So if you have one night of, you know, worry and even panic, I remember the first night my son went out after he got his license, I probably called him a million times. I'm (laughs) checking up on him, trying to find him on GPS, making sure he's okay. Was he like, Um, mom, texting and driving or talking and driving is not (laughs) safe either. (laughs) Right. I'm like, I'm going to call you, but don't answer if you're driving. (laughs) Um, So yeah, that's normal. But over time, you know, over the, you know, the next time he went out, things were a lot better for me. Mm-hmm. And but if you get to the point where you're so anxious, where you're having regular panic attacks, where you can't go out or, you know, you're throwing up before, you know, you go to work mm-hmm. that day because you're so nervous about talking to your boss and you're not able to rein that back in, then yes, that's when it's time to to seek some help. When you have those fears, mm-hmm. you know, to not let them control you, give me some steps that you can take to manage those before it gets out of control. Okay. So if we're talking about fears and anxiety, so the first thing you you need to do is name it because Mm -hmm. a lot of times we have like generalized anxiety and we have no idea what's going on with ourselves. Mm -hmm. And it always comes back to trying to be introspective, trying to understand. So asking yourself, okay, what am I really afraid of? What am I scared of? What's my deepest fear in this moment? And sometimes your first answer isn't it. And so then when you get to that first answer, you might have to go, okay, but what about that am I really worried about? And so you want to really ask yourself a lot of questions to try to understand what it is that you're, you're worried about. And then you need to write down your fears. And then it's helpful to then write down the story you're telling yourself about my fear. If we're talking about your son going out, you know, well, I'm scared that he's going to have a car accident or I'm scared. I'm worried that he's not going to, you know, pay attention and, you know, maybe he'll get in trouble or make a bad choice. Okay. But what am I really worried about? Well, ultimately maybe I'm worried about losing my son. Right. Mm -hmm, For sure. That's exactly what you're worried about at that point. Exactly. And so then you have to recognize that you're making stories you are catastrophizing, you're making these wonderful horror movies, and you have to backpedal. And you have to actually talk to yourself about what's going on in the present. Whenever we're feeling anxious, it's never about what's going on right now. It's always about our fear about the future. And so you have to have steps to ground yourself in the present, remind yourself of what you are doing and feeling right now, and that you are safe. So th- those are some steps. And like I, like Julie said, it's all about self-talk, recognizing what you're saying to yourself and working on changing it. Okay. So for this anxiety, worry, sadness topic, I'll make sure to link in the show notes to some specific questions you answered. I know you did one on um, anxiety from a biblical perspective. That one has been really right. popular. Um, yes. We talked a little bit about um, handling friends' anxiety. And then what if you feel like you don't ever get emotions? So those three questions for sure will be in the show notes where you unpack a little bit more about this. All right. This next topic, Dar, let's mm-hmm. let's go there. Okay, this one, Zoe, is Mm -hmm. on a lot of women's mind and life. They're living it, Mm -hmm. okay? It is, what do I do 
when he asks me to marry him and he won't set the date? What if I am the forever fiance mm-hmm. and we never cross that line? A lot of women are dealing with that. And it's a it is a dead end place to be. And you actually address that, but we want to unpack that quite a bit more today. Yeah, you know, it's a crazy phenomenon now and it's it it it's kind of spread because it's really the whole dating scene now and how things are so undefined and it takes forever to get to a place of exclusivity because everybody's got so many options. And then when you finally get to this place of, he asked me to marry him, then a lot of women feel like they've done it, like it's done, mm-hmm. right? That they've sealed the deal. And so I'm going to say this in love, <laughs> but it is painful, painfully true that we women are really helping to drive this phenomena. And the reason why is because we become the wife before we're the wife and we do not set boundaries. So I have so many women and I will ask them, they're in this place, whether it's in a, a relationship or as a forever fiance, and I will ask them, how are you different as a girlfriend than a wife? How are you different as a even fiance, you know, than a wife or dating? And many of them will give me a blank look. They don't really have an answer because he's asked them to marry them. And then they decide, okay, well now I'm going to be his wife. And they start acting like a wife. And that gives the man no drive, no motivation to seal the deal. He's got what he wants. He's locked you down because yes, he does love you. Yes, he wants to be with you forever. And a lot of women are convinced, you know, they're in this place where, well, he loves me and he wants to be with me forever. And he's saying these things. So I should just wait and I should just wait until he's ready or stay in this place and you're hurting and he's not respecting you and you're not respecting yourself. Boom. I mean, yeah, Julie and I are like, you got it, girl. I know. (laughs) Um, So what is the line? What's the difference between a wife and a girlfriend? I mean, I think that's probably the first question that comes to mind. If they give you this blank stare, then what, you know, what are some examples of things that should be different at the level of a relationship? Right. So first, let's just talk about dating. When you're dating someone, you are not going as a woman, you're not going to commit to him any more than he's committing to you. So if it's not exclusive, then that means it's not exclusive on both parts. A lot of women kind of settle in and they're just kind of waiting for him and where he's kind of out doing his thing. That book, Girl, Wash Your Face. Mm -hmm. She talked about this whole phenomenon with her relationship with her husband. And he, you know, he's a great guy, but she let him do this whole thing to her for years and string her along. And he was dating all these other people and, you know, she was sitting around waiting. So you live your life and you be your own individual person and hello, let him pursue you. Mm. It's so important. We don't talk, we, we, we want to go, okay, we're in the modern world. Women, you know. want to pursue men. Women want to, you know, be in that same place, which is fine. Women stand up for yourself, be independent, but you have to understand the differences between men and women. And we do have fundamental differences and men do like and need to pursue. They want to feel that they have, you know, pursued you and worked hard and, and gotten their prize. And it's okay for a woman to be a prize and honor herself and see herself as that way. So 
Sorry, I'm kind of going off on a tangent, but it's so important because I see this so much in my practice with women, uh, you know, in their 20s and 30s, many of which have never been in a committed relationship. They have a lot of situationships because they haven't demanded that from, you know, from, from their partners. So you have to be different. You have to be independent. You do not do things like his laundry. You do not cook for him and take it to his work. (laughs) You respect yourself and respect your place. So as a girlfriend, he's committed to you. Um, Like I said, you have to be reciprocal in the relationship. Okay. I'm going to throw politically incorrect in here. Totally. (laughs) Sure. Go for it. Go for it. Um, You know, your man can hire a maid, okay? He can have somebody else pay their bills. You know, in reality, he can have someone else to have sex with, all right? But you need to know that you aren't those things. You should be treasured. I want women so badly to go, I am worth pursuit. I am worth yes. the the man saying, I will put a coat in a puddle so you don't have to step in it. I will want a man who will look at me and go, how can I help you? How can I love you? How can I take care of you? Not how can you take care of me? And I want women to actually expect that because they're worth that, Zoe. It drives me crazy that women don't say, Look at what a treasure I am. And you are taking advantage of that. You are abusing it. You are not treating me the way I am worth. So I'm saying demand it, girls, because, you know, you want a loving, mutually respectful, mutually giving relationship. And you're taking so much less than that. Absolutely. A hundred percent. And it's painful to watch women go through this process. And to be honest with you, men don't like it either. Mm. I have so many men in my practice. People think I only see women, but actually about 40% of my practice are men. And men will tell me that, you know, they're looking for a certain type of relationship, but women will come to the table with sex or things that they haven't asked for and they'll take it because it's convenient and it's great, but that's not really what they want. And so they get caught up in this process too sometimes and they they're just like, well, this is great. You know, I'll just kind of keep on doing this. And women feel used, but they're not recognizing that they're used because they've already put themselves out there. Okay. So you're in this forever fiance position. What do you do, Dr. Zoe? So when you recognize that number one, he, he has made a declaration of intent to you, right? And so you have to hold him to that declaration of intent. And so when you recognize that, okay, we've, we've, you know, we're, we're engaged, maybe you've set the date and it's changed for whatever reason, which often is what happened, or it's just like, well, we'll figure that out later. And a year or two goes by and you're in this place where you're feeling like, I'm not sure this is going to happen or I'm not okay with where we are now. So guess what it's time for? Boundaries, ultimatums. Mm. Now... (laughs) I know that word ultimatum sounds like a derogatory term, and I think I've written an article about it um, because I firmly believe that ultimatums are so important for a woman because they are just about healthy boundaries. They're just, they're just about saying, this is the place where I am not willing to go any further, that it's not okay for you to do this. Now, the problem with ultimatums is that most people 
don't mean them. Mm-hmm. So they say them as a, as, a, as a tool to control someone's behavior or change someone's behavior. So if you are going to set a boundary, you have to mean it, which means you have to be willing to let the relationship go. And I was just talking to a woman about this. She's in her 20s and having an issue with the guy, same thing. And it's so hard for her to make that step and put the boundary up because of the fear. What's the fear? I'm going to lose him. I've put all these years in and now I'm going to lose this relationship. And so I've been working with her and she finally put up that boundary. She's finally disconnected and distanced herself. And guess what he did? Because he does care about her. He's now coming to her. She's like, it worked. I'm like, I know boundaries work. (laughs) They really do. (laughs) That's funny. Um, But you have to be willing to respect yourself enough to put them in. So you have to say clearly to your fiance, this is what we agreed to. I said, yes, you asked. However, it happened. This is what I intend to do. I intend to get married, just like we said. And I am going to maybe wait this long, or we need to put something in place, or I'm moving on. Okay, let me ask you this, Zoe, because Mm -hmm. I know a lot of times you go, and it worked out. But a lot of times Mm. it doesn't. Mm. He does walk away. So how do you prepare yourself? You say, I'm going to put that boundary up. I'm going to make that decision. And, and I am going to make that ultimatum, but I have to do it with the full knowledge that he could leave. So yes, that is a reality and that can definitely happen and you have to be ready for it. But if he loves you, if he respects you, if he wants to be with you forever, then you're putting up an ultimatum is not going to be the thing that's going to make him go. Mm -hmm. If he goes, it's because he's already changed his mind and he wasn't willing to tell you and he was going to string you along anyway. And that's the thing that you have to recognize. You're saving yourself. That made my stomach drop, but it's so true. And I mean, I can speak from experience that you want to be in a relationship that you know is healthy and strong and has a real foundation of mutual respect and love and appreciation for each other, or you're ultimately going to be unhappy down the road. You don't want to just make sure you lock him down. You you want to know that he's in it just as much as you are. So that is a hard truth to hear, but thank you for addressing that. I know another thing that we have been asked at the Ask Dr. Zoe column, which again, you guys need to take advantage of it because it is amazing. She has, as you already have heard, brilliant answers to your Mm -hmm. questions and you can do it anonymously, which I think is amazing. But another one is how do I leave the past behind? How do I move forward with all of the emotions or the hurt or whatever I'm experiencing are still present, how, how do I leave it behind? How do you, Zoe? That's a tough one because you don't get through life without having some form of pain, sometimes even trauma. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people get frozen in that space. And the reason why is because when something really horrible happens to us or, or something painful or even traumatic happens, it's kind of like a stamp on your brain. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to get past it if you are not intentional about it. So the first thing that I think a lot of people, a step a lot of people don't pay attention to and wonder why they're so stuck in their pain is that it's still going on in their life. So a lot of women will say, how do I get past, you know, this, you know, betrayal with my husband or how do I get past, uh, you know, 
childhood stuff with my mother or things like that. But what's happening is that things are still currently happening. Either we're allowing them or we're recreating them in our life. And you cannot get past something that's currently happening. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like crazy making because you're trying to make yourself do that, but it's still happening every day in your life. So the first step is to make sure that you are actually past it. You need to examine your life and figure out, are these things still occurring in my life? And if they are, then you've got to figure out how to get them out of your life first. Dang. I mean, this basically means boundaries again, right? So it all goes back Uh, to having (laughs) healthy boundaries. Um, Episode 103, we unpack that a little bit more, FYI. But I mean, that line, I just wrote it down for myself. You can't get past something that's currently still happening. Um, That's a truth that many women need to hear today. So what are some things that I'm going to need in order to address the fact that, okay, this pain, this triggering, this trauma is still so significant because I'm still in it. What does she need to do next? Right. Well, what we're not going to do is chuck all our relationships because we do need (laughs) relationships in our lives. But what we do have to do is examine them and we have to see where these patterns are still occurring. And then we have to be willing to talk about to address the big elephants in the room. Mm. And a lot of times in relationships, it comes to that because we get so used to not talking about those things. And so we have to, you know, kind of become brave and talk about the difficult things in our lives. And then, like we said, put up those boundaries saying no more. This thing that's been happening for this many years, I am no longer going to tolerate. And ladies, we are never required to be who we were five minutes ago. It's okay to change relationships. It's not Mm -hmm. just okay. It's necessary for our growth. And we're scared of it because we've been doing this for so long. Or somebody else will say, well, you've always been okay with this. And it's okay to say no longer. Mm -hmm. And that's what we have to do to get, you know, get past the current things that are probably attached to our past issues as well. You know, Zoe, I, I take that very personally because I had A very difficult mother. Julie and I have talked about this before. Mm -hmm. And there was a point in my adult life when I was married and had my first child that I actually had to say, this relationship as it has been will not be. It's going to change or it will not exist. And it was the one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. And, you know, it wasn't easy. She didn't like it. And there was not a quick change. It was five months of her not speaking to me Hmm. before the ship turned. So I can say from personal experience, it is not an easy thing to do. And you do risk completely cutting that person off from your life. But if it can shift, and I'm not saying it was ever perfect because it was Mm -hmm. always challenging, Mm -hmm. but at least got on terms I could live with. That was episode 89. I'll link to it in oh, the show notes. How, okay. to, how to handle a hard relationship with your mom. I was so proud of you in that one, by the way. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. Well, I'm so glad you said that. And I'm so glad you said it took five months because this is something that's really important to understand when we change anything in a relationship. Anytime we change a system and a relationship is just a system, right? The system tries to pull you back to equilibrium. So there will be a greater response by the other part of the system to pull you back to what is your normal, even though your normal might be very dysfunctional. And the only way you can create change is to really hold firm. And eventually that system will equalize and come to a new normal. 
And so what happens is people will try to make changes in, re- in relationships, try to put up boundaries and they'll go, oh no, this is worse. They're acting even worse than before. And I'm like, yes, they are. They're mm-hmm. trying to pull you back. And sometimes it's very subconscious. It's not something that they're necessarily purposefully doing. Sometimes it is, but you have to stay firm. And you stood firm for five months, Darlene. And eventually your mom, to some extent, came around. But if you had called her at that third month, what you would have been doing is reinforcing her monster and actually growing it. And so, so many people don't, don't recognize that, that yes, it does take time, but you have to stay firm and people will respond. So what do you do with the feelings that come with that? Um, whether the boundary being applied and the relationship kind of finding a new healthy normal happens or it doesn't, what do you do with those? Well, we always got to process our feelings. <laughs> you don't we eat have them. To, got it. <laughs> we have to name them. We can't eat them. We have to talk about them. And sometimes it's not talking about them to the person that we are in relationship with. It's writing. It's talking to other people, processing them. But once you've figured out that you've now, you're now in this place where you are no longer allowing current pain, then you still sometimes have to deal with past pain. Mm-hmm. And so... You have to be intentional about getting past it and not staying frozen. And you have to recognize that that means grief because when it comes to past pain, we have loss. And whenever we have loss, we have to grieve. Mm -hmm. And what we have to do with that grief is not try to get rid of it because so many people are like, I just want to get past it. I want to get rid of it. No, you need to figure out how to incorporate it into the tapestry of your life. Because grief doesn't disappear, but we can change it and incorporate it so that it's actually really beautiful. I had a client who was severely abused by her father, and she had scars on her body as a result of the abuse. Mm -hmm. And on one of her biggest scars, she got a tattoo of a cross with like um, one of the parts where it's kind of bubbly she like had this drape around the 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 cross it was so beautiful Mm, and in our work together you know she finally came to the point where she said I don't want to hide my scar she said I want it to have a different meaning every time I look at it and so it's not that she was trying to get rid of her grief it wasn't that she was trying to not remember it she was creating a different story and strength and so that's what we have to do with our feelings I love that, Zoe. Um, You know, one thing that I think is hard, so you've either broken the relationship because it couldn't be changed or you've changed it, but there's still hurt. There's still sadness. There's still anger from some of the past. How do you forgive? Do you forgive? Or even if they don't ask for forgiveness, how do you do that, Zoe? Well, forgiveness is necessary and you have to do it on your own time. But the most important person that you have to forgive often is yourself. Mm. And it's yourself because of whatever blame you've decided you have that's not warranted um, about the situation. Um, But when it comes to forgiveness, the way that you do it and process it is to understand that all behavior makes sense in its context. That doesn't excuse anyone, but it helps to explain why you may have 
how you may have participated or stayed or accepted, how somebody else who may have abused you or hurt you did it, because it's usually, it usually has nothing to do with you. It's about you being an object and that person's issues and your, your, you know, your place in their life hit up against their issues. It has nothing to do with you. And when you understand that all behavior, no matter how heinous, makes sense in its context, you kind of distance yourself from it and recognize that it's not about you. And it's a little easier to forgive. But yes, forgiveness is so important for yourself, for your health. I'll definitely make sure to link in the show notes a couple pieces about kind of this forgiveness and even just about handling grief. I think some people think grief is only when you lose someone through death. Mm. And I think one of the biggest things I've learned is just mm-hmm. how you can have grief about lots of different forms of life trauma and and recognizing, you know, the heaviness of things and giving it the value it deserves. So Man, this is some really, really helpful stuff, Dr. Zoe. Thank you so much. Um, These are going to be some good show notes. Lots of good links are going to be there, guys. But the best (laughs) link that's going to be there is the link to the Ask Dr. Zoe column. Because I bet as you've been listening, you've come up and you've written down or noted on your phone a few things that you might have questions about. And so go, go check out the column. Submit your question. Come up with a cute username so you can stay anonymous. But ask that (laughs) question or even consider reaching out to Dr. Zoe um, to have your own session with her because you do work remotely with clients, correct? I do. Yes, I do. All right. Well, we'll put all the information in the show notes on how you can either work with Zoe or just access the free advice column at thegritandgraceproject.org. Well, and Dr. Zoe, we want to thank you for being here. You have no idea how many notes Julie and I have written down of things that you've said <laughs> mm-hmm. that we will we will share with the people we love and even use as our own. So mm-hmm. you're a pretty amazing lady, Dr. Zoe. Appreciate you being with us today. Thank you so much. I just love you guys and I love what you're doing. And I'm so excited to be able to help people more than one-on-one on my couch. So thank you. Well, I can't think of a better way to end this episode than to quote Dr. Zoe herself. This comes right from one of her top articles at the Grit and Grace Project called When a Strong Woman is Quitting Yet Not Failing. You want to read it, Dar? I sure do. Having perseverance is a wonderful, necessary quality for success as a strong woman, but it only works efficiently if you also possess the ability to know when it's time to give up. Thank you, Dr. Zoe, and thank you for being part of another great episode of This Grit and Grace Life. See you next week. Thanks for listening to another episode of This Grit and Grace Life podcast brought to you by the Grit and Grace Project online magazine. Whether you're listening in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or streaming the show, be sure to take a couple moments to subscribe, rate, and review so you never miss the next episode. You can also share the show with a friend you think might enjoy living a grit and grace life with us. Every week we share all the details on everything we discuss in the episode at thegritandgraceproject.org. We'll catch you on the next one.